Hello, and welcome to Buffalo HealthCast, a podcast by students, faculty, and staff of the University at Buffalo's School of Public Health and Health Professions. We're your co-hosts, Tia Palermo, Jessica Kruger, Skylar Lawson. And in this podcast, we cover topics related to health equity here in Buffalo, around the U.S., and globally. In this first semester of the podcast, we're taking a deeper look at racism and health. We'll be talking to experts around the U.S., as well as individuals here on campus and in the Buffalo community who are working to remove inequities to improve population health and well-being. You'll hear from practitioners, researchers, students, and faculty from other universities who have made positive changes to improve health equity and inclusion. Landon is a 21-year-old life and transition coach who owns his own company, LMK Coaching. He used social media as an influencer to educate others on topics of transitioning, hormones, and surgeries to the public. Landon is a resident of New York and is also here today to speak on the medical issues that transgender people face within the healthcare systems. Okay, our first question is, what are some of the health issues or barriers to seeking care that transgender individuals face? So as a transgender myself, I feel like the biggest issue has been finding educated healthcare staff that is willing to treat my gender dysphoria. And ultimately it comes down to the fact that there is such scarce knowledge and there's not really as much culture, culturally competent care for everyone that most uh, medical professionals preach. It's just more of a new topic that's still being discussed and rehearsed within the medical field. No, that's great. I completely agree. Do you think that this comes down to the training that medical care professionals receive in their schooling? Or do you think that it's the lack of keeping up with that medical education training later on after being in their profession, in their jobs, in their careers? I think it's kind of a combination of both, right? So if you think of think of it, within the last decade, there's been so much progress that's been made within the trans community. I mean, even within the last few years, if you said trans, some people didn't even know what that meant. Now you say trans and everyone knows what that means. So I think that this is just being an, it's an overall new topic that's being discussed in society. Whereas before it's, it was way more taboo just even a few years ago, like I said. So I think going back to, you know, trainings and bringing in people within the community, say the trans community, the LGBT community, or it's an area that is still being discovered. So I think having people such as a professional, just like me, you know, part of the trans community can be a huge asset to medical professionals. For example, I was working with a, my local hospital in order to create culturally competent care for all. It was an LGBT resource team. And I worked as a community committee member. I think those things can be huge towards making really big transitional pivots in the medical field. I am happy that there are big changes that are being made. Even like seven years ago, for for instance, when I first started hormone replacement therapy, I had to give a urine sample. And this was a gender clinic in New York City. And I had to give a urine sample and they didn't have a gender neutral bathroom. And I was not male passing at the time. And I had a near panic attack, like trying to figure out which bathroom I was going to go. And this was like an appointment towards my transition. So it's like those little things, creating awareness about those things and creating spaces, I think is like huge. And the first step in making progress. Yeah, I, I feel like I'm going all over the place, but I think ultimately those all connect. Yeah, no, that's a great point. I totally agree. And I think that that's great that you had the opportunity to be part of the uh, committee to create culturally culturally competent care for 
people who do identify within the LGBTQ plus community, specifically trans, um, because that is something that is very lacking within our society. So our second question is, when you came out as trans, how did that impact your ability to seek medical care uh, and like treatment initially? Yeah, so I'm going to be 22 in a few weeks. I came out at 14. So it's been about seven years. And coming out at a really young age, especially when trans issues were not really talked about at all, a lot of healthcare providers were in question of whether or not to take my transition seriously. And luckily, my parents were able to commute an hour and a half to New York City. Luckily, I live that close to one of the greatest cities in the world where there's a lot more progression and a lot more resources. So they took me to a trans adolescence healthcare center in New York City uh, through Mount Sinai. Adolescent Health Center. They did think that they were taking me to a conversion therapist uh, because their ignorance was so strong. Their acceptance was there, but their understanding wasn't. They thought I was too young to make any sort of changes, that this is something that just needs to be talked about. And ultimately, I guess, flatline, like I will grow out of it sort of thing. When it came to going to college, I went way up north in New York. Things changed a bit. All psychiatrists and therapists seem to focus on my trans identity as my cause of depression and anxiety, when in reality, that was already being treated for the last few years. So in between the ages of 14 to 17, 14 and 15, I was very much so like, you're, you're very young, you need to talk about this in depth before any permanent changes are made. And then I was diagnosed with gender dysphoria within my therapist's credentials. And they were like, you know, it would be best at the age of 16, you could start hormone replacement therapy. So I did. And then I graduated high school at 17 when I went to college, going way far up North where healthcare is totally different than it is in New York city. Again, they just kept focusing on the fact that my identity was the cause for my mental health uh, being in shambles. And so I would say like, once again, a lack of knowledge pushed me to educate my doctors and look for another healthcare provider willing to listen to all of my needs rather than just focusing on an area that is more taboo and seeking more interest. Well, that's a great explanation. And to see the differences between the quality of healthcare within a city population and more of a uh, rural area in upstate New York just goes to show how um, how different the medical care is on the receiving end and also how that lack of education and um, communication within the medical community is it's not equal across the board. No, that's a great, that's a great thing to share. Thank you. Uh, Our next question comes to Mm -hmm. how do you believe that the medical field is failing the transgender community? For I'm, you know, The thing is also, I want to reflect this back to whoever may be listening to this, right? Like I'm speaking behalf on my own experience, right? So every other trans person within the community has their own opinion, right? Um, So for me, I think overall education and willingness to listen to their clients, I think is the overall issue. At the same time, I know that a lot of other trans people feel that they shouldn't have to advocate for yourself. And I completely agree. You shouldn't have to. At the same time, if nothing is being said and no one is is speaking up, no progression is going to be made. So I think doctors, there there needs to be this light of like doctors are still human beings that need to be just as open-minded as any other person. And 
you grow as an individual. Like that is just a part of any profession, any human being you grow and you learn. It's just a part of a contract you sign when you are a part of society, constantly learning. So just because a doctor is viewed as the elite in care doesn't mean that they are versed on how to best support each client. So I think opening their ears and listening to what their, their uh, patient needs can be very huge. Cause I, can very much attest to the fact that there are doctors who will simply just not treat me because they are not comfortable treating trans clients. But if I, sorry, trans patients, but if I walk in, right, and I've been on testosterone for seven years, there's no reason why a doctor cannot fill my test, do simple blood work and prescribe me my testosterone right off the bat. So I think just being overall more open-minded to working with a diverse population can open a lot of doors. Yeah, that's also a great point. I think especially because, you know, some people have to travel like myself, um, you know, multiple hours away just to get Mm -hmm. the quality care that not only we need, but what we deserve. Uh, And so I think that that pointing that out that every person's journey uh, within their transition is different. So is the different types of uh, things that we have to do in order to get that quality of care. So I think that, that that's a, a really great point because there are multiple ways that the medical field is failing the transgender community. It's not really just just one. So I, I think that's mm-hmm. a great point that you make. Uh, our next question is, when it comes to insurance approval for medical transitions, what barriers did you or do you currently face? So one thing that really came up in regards to insurance, right? So when I first started my medical transition, clearly all my insurance paperwork had my birth name and my uh, sex assigned at birth. So whenever testosterone was being filled, I would have, you know, this, I wouldn't say this is directly with insurance, but would have to do with a pharmacist, right? So I would get this long list the first time I was prescribed testosterone. I got this really long list from the pharmacist and he basically said, is this person, he was an older older man, probably in his early fifties. And he was working alongside a younger woman pharmacist. And he kept asking all these questions. And he said, is this, is this girl, uh, pregnant, like un- unwilling, like he, he didn't notice that I was the person that was going to be taking this testosterone. He thought that it was for somebody else. <laughs> and he was trying to say like, is she pregnant? Like we need to make sure blah, blah, blah. And the woman standing next to him was like, no, no, no kind of being aware of like, no, this is clearly like something different. Like it's not, this is a trans, like (laughs) this is being used for transition purposes. And there was a lack of knowledge there. Right. So that was pretty unfortunate and pretty uncomfortable sitting there. And like, they're reconfirming all of the things that you wish you didn't have. And the reasons why you're transitioning is to feel more comfortable and stray away from that female identity or that female, my female assigned sex at birth. Um, fortunately, my testosterone has been covered through insurance. I've never had an issue with that. But my top surgery was not. Um, that was considered cosmetic and paid, paid for out of pocket. At the same time, I needed a mental health professional to sign off on my gender dysphoria in order to follow through with the procedure ethically. It seemed very, very contradictory. And to this day, I still have an issue finding a provider that is well-versed in hormone replacement therapy in my area. So it's left me to self-educate and work with my primary healthcare provider. So to this day, I just work with my primary. I get my blood work taken every three months and then we go from there. So I don't even work with a specialist. My insurance 
has, hasn't really had an issue. I will add surgery. The surgeon I picked was like a world renowned surgeon and having surgery almost five years ago, I think insurance has come a long way. As far as I know, a lot of trans guys, top surgery is being covered nowadays, but during that time, it was not covered for me. I completely agree how the insurance is making that sort of revolution very slow, (laughs) but it is making that, that revolution towards uh, catering to transition procedures for trans folks like myself. Luckily I did get my top surgery covered. I was very thankful for that. And I did have some barriers with my testosterone being able to get it, but I do think that, that, you're a hundred percent right that it is slowly coming through to have a little more light addressed and, and being able to not universally be covered through every insurance, but it is coming through to be able to be a little more accessible for people who may not have that, um, that resource right away. So that's a great point that you make there as well. So our next question is the electronic medical records, also known as EMR are very binary when it comes to documenting patient health information. In addition to a section for preferred name, gender identity, and pronouns, what other information could be collected to prevent discrimination and barriers within transgender patients? So I actually like, as soon as you said that EMRs, right? I actually have like a tiny story that happened, I don't know, a little, a year before COVID. I, I was at work, I cut off, you know, a little piece of my fingertip, I had to get an x-ray and going from person to person, like you would in the ER, everyone is looking at your medical records. So each person you go to, they ask the same, same questions. There was one guy, I went to go get an x-ray for my finger and he just looked at my documentation. He goes, hmm, it says that you're female in here. It looks like it's, it's a mistake. I think we got to change that. And I'm just sitting there like, laughing a little bit. And I'm like, yeah, I didn't even bother to explain. I was like, whatever, if he wants to change it to mail and change the mail. Now, looking back at that, there should be some sort of documentation, right? Because the thing is, I still, I haven't had bottom surgery, right? So in regards to whatever complications that may come up in the ER, I feel like there would be an issue with insurance wanting to cover a hysterectomy if my sex says that I'm male on paperwork, right? So having information that says, you know, I identify as male, but also I was female assigned at birth can avoid a lot of those issues. I think there is no real proper education for trans people within the system. And there should be a quick summary about how the person identifies and just some overall general info on what it means to be trans. Say that this, you know, say someone missed, I don't know, speaker comes in one day and, you know, X-ray, the, the X-ray technician, he was not there that day. <laughs> Missed the whole big, uh, big uh, education aspect to treating trans people, right? Well, there should be some sort of backbone or backup. There should be some sort of summary underneath to help tre- treat trans people. It should also be allowed for the patient to choose whether or not the provider can see past medical records that show their, sec- their sex assigned at birth due to safety issues on, in today's society. So that is really unfortunate. I do feel that working in the medical field that it should be separate, uh, your opinions versus treating someone with respect. I think those are very huge. Keep your opinions outside of the workplace. When it comes to treating everybody equally, there is a right way to respect someone. And that also has to do with trans people. So yeah, so I think it goes back and forth, right? It's like medical professionals should have the right to see all medical records. At the same time, I understand the safety issues with that as well. But I'm sure with time, 
and further education within, if there is a more instilled overall medical, I don't even understand how I would word this, but just like school laws in New York state, right? Like all schools have to follow such and such and such for discrimination, right? The same thing should have to do with the medical field. I'm not sure if that goes as far as that, but yeah, I think that would make a big difference if that even makes sense. No, I, I actually, I do understand that. Um, when I used to work at a hospital uh, locally here in Buffalo, we did have to do like LGBTQ compliance, but it didn't ever go into how you would continue to give care to somebody related to their gender identity or um, specific types of medical needs that may come with sexual orientation, different things like that. So I think that it it's covering part of what somebody needs to learn, but it's definitely not thorough and it's not, it's not delivered in an applicable way that you could say, oh, wow, like from this training, I could probably do this here for this individual who identifies as a trans. So, you know, it's, it's, it's there, but it's definitely not where it needs to be. It's much subpar. I completely agree. This leads into our last question here, which covers what other trainings or interventions for healthcare providers can additionally help prevent discrimination and barriers for transgender patients. So this kind of does go a little past my explanation right there with potentially making the LGBTQ competency training that is annual a little more in depth or applicable. Just wondering what what you think any other trainings could do as per preventing discrimination for trans. Yeah, so I think, you know, as you said in my bio, I'm I'm a trans man who has made it my specific career path to educate those around LGBTQ issues and equality. And I think it's super important to reach out to specialists in this field. You know, what better resource than to go to the community themselves and for people who have, you know, made it their their mission to make massive change. And I think continuing education and regulations need to be put in place in all healthcare systems to overall best for best provide for all communities, not even the trans community, but for all diverse communities. I think that's very, very huge. Continuing education and regulations, that's a great topic to go on. And I know we could probably go on all day about that. Um, but Landon, I want to thank you for coming today. Uh, I think that this is a very educational and forward message to anybody listening to this about the transgender communities and how the medical field is not where it needs to be for trans folks and their health and their transitions. So I just want to thank you for coming today. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me, Kellen. I think having this this conversation in general is going to open up a lot of discussion and ultimately that discussion will lead to some positive change. This has been another episode of Buffalo HealthCast. Tune in next time to hear more about health equity in Buffalo, the U.S., and around the globe.